Hello and welcome to Digital Works Oral History Podcasts. This series is called Sherbet Dab, an oral history of the London cabbie. The project was run by arts and education charity Digital Works, working closely with the team at the London Transport Museum and Unite the Union. Year 6 children from St George the Martyr and Westminster Cathedral Primary Schools learnt about the history of the iconic London taxi before going to conduct oral history interviews with the cabbies about their working lives. Episode 2 explores the cabbie's first days at work, learning the tricks of the trade and looks at the ups and downs of the relationship between cabbies themselves. We hope you enjoy it. Thornhill Square to Queen Square. So I'd say lead by Matilda Street, right Copenhagen Street, left Caledonian Road, um, left Killick Street, left Pentonville Road, right Lorenzo Street, left King's Cross Road, right Acton Street, left Grayson Road, right Guildford Street, left Guildford Place, four down to Conduit Street, right Great Ormond Street, set down Queen Square facing. When we got, I got my badge, the first thing you had to do, you had to go in those days again, things changed today, I had to go to a garage and you had to sign up a contract with that garage to work either day or night. Normally, as you've just got your badge, you have to do a night work. And that's the only year for one year you sign. And that's for one year I did that. Just as you're completing the lodge, you, you, you can get a, a cab called, I think it's called a Wangle cab. Um, and it's, a, it's normally an old cab that you just drive around to get used to driving a cab. So you, they give you the cab for free whilst you're learning. Um, but then you have a contract with them for a, a number of months. So it's quite seamless really. I just went from getting my bill and badge, going to the, to the, to the cab uh, garage, and then taking out a, a cab for, for six or seven months. When I was working, you used to have the flat and you used to have the half flat. A half flat could be you're, you're paying half the rent, but it could also mean that you're sharing that cab with someone as well, someone who do days while you did nights or vice versa. That's the most economical way to drive a cab, is to share the cab, share the costs, share the driving. You also get home to see your kids grow up as well, that's a good thing. Or a bad thing, depending which way you look at it, you know. In those days, we used to work on a percentage of the meter. So the meters were red, and you would pay in 60% of the meter, so that you earned 40%. Now to get around that, we used to have a little trick and it was called stalking. And someone would, in the docks, they would come out and they would say to you, how much is it to Leicester Square? And you say, right, um, it's gonna be about 12 shillings if you sit on the seat, or six if you sit on the floor. And if you sat on the floor, you didn't put the meter on. So you earn the whole six shillings. When you first get out, they call you a butter boy. <laughs> And uh, you've got to do three years, and every three years you renew your bill, your licence. And um, so you've got to do three years of being a butter boy. When you were working for a garage, they called you journeymen. When you decided to buy your own cab, meaning that the contract you've had for the year is finished, and you buy your own cab, they called you mushers. M-U-S-H-E-R-S, mushers. 
sherbet. I remember the first time someone said it to me, I gave them a blank look. Is it your sherbet? I'm looking at it. And then all of a sudden it clicked, you know, sherbet, dab, cab. Cabs are really difficult to start, so they used to go, used to rev, you'd shake like this, and suddenly it would, it would catch, the engine would catch because it was diesel, and then suddenly all smoke and everything would go, and you'd, you'd sit, they're nothing like they are today, which are power steering and comfortable. The, the Wangle cabs were really old wrecks and they never had power steering. Oh, wow. You had to be so strong to try and turn the wheel and they have to make sure you had done it on a bit of a movement. So even though it was just before my time, there were still cabs that still had the really, you know, the old, didn't have power steering. Vehicles were different. We had a, what we call the FX3, where in the winter, you knew it was winter because there was no, no near side door. That was where you strapped your luggage, your luggage into. And the heating, well, it came under the seat, but very often it wasn't there. So you had to, you had to be well clothed up during the winter on it. For luck, you, when you pick up your first job, you never charge that person for that job. My very first experience was I kept forgetting to put my meter on. So the other thing I used to do, people would be waving at me and I'd wave back because I didn't realise they were actually hailing me down. So it took quite a few days to get used to it. I used to go out sometimes six o'clock in the morning and not come home until 10, 11 o'clock at night. That's when I had a young family. Um, that's when I had lots of bills to pay and lots of things I wanted to do. In that time, it was easy because A, there was only 5,700 taxes, so not so much traffic, there were less, fewer cars, there was more work in the outer areas, so you could keep out of the centre and still earn money. In the early days it was great. There weren't any bus lanes in those days, um, but there was a lot less traffic, a lot less cyclists, a lot less motorbikes, so getting around was pretty easy. It was fantastic, it really was. I mean, there were no night buses, uh, transport home was uh, very limited and so you were really busy I mean you would stop and you quite often uh, uh, people would get in both sides of the cab at the same time and they'd jump in and they'd say this is my cab and say no this is my cab and they'd be arguing and then you used to try and work something out between them where you took both of them home. Um, when I started driving I think the pubs had to close at 10 or 10.30 in the evening. Uh, a few people had late licences um, so you had to know where the late licences were. And I, I would earn on a, on a Friday night, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, I, I would earn good money around the east end of London. Oh yeah, honest, yeah, it, really busy. And if you wanted a cup of tea and a sandwich, you, 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 you found a little dark street and you hid down it. And bloody hell, you'd only been there about five minutes and all of a sudden it's, you working? You said, yeah, I've got a sandwich in one hand and a cup of tea in the other. <laughs> No, not really. Oh, I'll wait. And that's the wait. Stand by the cab to finish your cup of tea and your blue sandwich. Yeah. Yeah, good old days. You have to remember is back in the 60s, the cab trade or the black taxis had a monopoly in London. So certain cabs used to be very choosy. They wouldn't go north, east or west. And things like going south, they used to say, no, I don't go south or go because uh, 
I'll get a nosebleed when I pass water. South of the river at the time um, wasn't a very lucrative area. It wasn't an area that you were likely to get a job back from. Um, so you didn't really want to go there because you'd waste a lot of time going there and then coming back empty. Uh, this particular gentleman, he said to me, I was in Piccadilly, and he stopped me and he said, um, can you take me to Ballam? And I went, oh, yeah. I said, I said, really, I'm going home north, really. I don't, you know, I don't really want to go to Ballam. He said, where are you going? I said, I'm going north. Okay, he said, take me north. So I said, what? He said, he said take me north. He said, I said, well, he said, well, I've stopped about 10 cabs and they're all going north. And it must be such a wonderful place that I want to go there. There you gone, baby, here am I, well, you left me here so I could sit and cry, well, golly gee, what have you done to me, well, I guess it doesn't matter anymore. Do you remember, baby, last September when you held me tight each and every night, well, golly gee, what have you done to me, I guess it doesn't matter anymore. They set up these cab shelters so that it was a place where they could get warm and have a cup of tea as opposed to a drink. So then they would be ready and available and the gentry knew where to find the cabmen to, to get a cab. They would be in the shelters. The little green huts. So when you, when you open the door, it's like, you know the Doctor Who series when you go in the TARDIS? and it's like a tiny little police box, but when you go inside, it's massive. I would use St John's Wood, which was the first shelter to be erected in London, and it was a nice group of chaps. Uh, a cabman shelter is it's like a nursery school for cab drivers. They all go very, very silly inside the cabman shelters. So you go into the canteen, everybody's talking at once, nobody's listening. If they put the price of the cup of tea up, they want to they want to riot because uh, you know another tuppence on a cup of tea would be would be uh, hell to pay. But it's normally jolly. It's loud and it sounds aggressive. But actually, there's what we call terms of endearment. It's quite a nice place to sit amongst uh, fellow cab drivers, people to understand the problems that you suffer during the day the stresses that you suffer during the day. I don't really sit in the cab shelters because they're, they're quite small and it's usually just lots of men. To tell you the truth, <laughs> I, I very, very rarely go into a cabman shelter. I've always felt that they were the private lunch places for groups of drivers that made it virtually their own. So if you went at a time when they were all there, they looked at you like you were a foreign person, that they, you shouldn't really be there at that time. They didn't really want to talk to you and you felt a bit isolated. So consequently, I did it a couple of times. I wasn't made welcome. So I don't think I've been back since. All established taxi drivers on taxi ranks and on hotels and at the airport were a quite close bunch of people. So to interact with them was difficult. There wasn't lots and lots and lots of black cab drivers at the time. So we all survive how we survive. And I've always survived because I'm very sporty. And you tend to find that, that if you're very good at sport, you get accepted. 
and people tend to not look at your colour, they just look if you're any good. So when I entered the cab trade, uh, they got me playing football for the taxi team. And so that opened many, many doors. There's a lot of camaraderie to each taxi driver. They will look after each taxi driver. If we find one of our friends or, or acquaintances, it doesn't have to be a, a very close friend, somebody says, well, Oh, Charlie ain't too well. He's, you know, he can't work, and he's, you know, and he's, he's quite sick at the moment. And the drivers will all club around and help, help him, you know. And that's gone on for as long as I've been driving a cab. We were a band. If you saw a cab broken down when I first started driving, you would stop and say, "Is it? You know, do you want some help?" There sort of is an unwritten law that if you let a cab driver out uh, of a side road and just as he turns out a person puts their hand up that cab driver should point towards you at the back you know stick their hand out and go like that and wave the person they can't pick up that's the unwritten rule sometimes it doesn't work but normally on the whole it, it does so you know there is that sort of that code of um, amongst cab drivers when business was good they were reasonably polite when business was bad they were awful they were it's very, very, very competitive. And if you took a job in front of somebody else, you could almost guarantee that the person behind you wouldn't get a job maybe for another half an hour, maybe even longer. And if you were sitting on the front of a taxi rank, which is quite long, you'd find people at the back of the rank would make a telephone call, pretend that they were somebody that wanted a cab, you'd pull off, they'd all move down, but there wasn't really anybody at the address that you went to. So they were bluffing you, and they were cheating you, really. And there was always the rascal who was at the, uh, at the nonce, as we called it. And when there was a queue of, when the theatre was ready to come, like, say, like in the Haymarket, there was a queue of cabs outside the Haymarket. And there was some certain guy called Claude the, we won't call, we won't say what his second name, nickname was, but it was Claude his name was. And just as the, the theatre's about to turn out, he used to fly down the outside and nick the first job that come out. And everybody knew him as Claude the naughty boy, yeah? I can remember I was seven or eight cab back, um, and I think I was driving, it might have been a red cab or something at the time, and this person, there was a, people at the front and the cabs were flying off really quickly, and I saw this person on the front cab, and then she walked down to me, and I was like seventh cab. By then the first cabs had gone. So she got in and she was only going local. And I said to her, why didn't you get, excuse me, why didn't you get the first cab? She said, because they're black cabs and they're only going to London. The red, red cabs are local cabs. So after that, you sort of learn a lesson. You get out of that cab very quickly and make sure you're at the front just so you can have a little, a little earwig. So it's, that's, you know, it only happens once and after that you, you learn. Uh, there is a term in, uh, amongst cab drivers, it's known as brooming a job because you're sort of brooming it onto the next person. So uh, I, was, I think I was broomed on that day. <laughs> We have a rank system and it's first man, first job. And this particular job, uh, the guy was obviously um, Middle Eastern and he spoke to a few of the drivers in front of me and we all know each other. And if some, one, the first driver doesn't want it, usually the rest of us just say no, even if we don't know where it's going. Because if he doesn't want it, why would I want it? Um, and so I got out and Spoke to the chap in front and said, what's the matter, what's going on? And he said, oh, he, he wants to go quite away, but we're not sure, he, he doesn't speak very good English. I said, OK, well, that doesn't mean he shouldn't be able to get a taxi. So I said, excuse me, can I help you? He, he said, 
please, please, he said, I have to go to university. I said, okay, what's the problem? He said, they don't want to go. I said, okay, well, I'll take you. Where, where is it? He said, Manchester. I said, okay, Manchester. Manchester Square or Manchester Street? Where? He said, I don't know. And he gave me the address, and it was Manchester, where Man United play in Man Manchester City. Um, so I said, okay, United's a long way. <laughs> it's a lot of money. He said, I don't care. I have to go. Okay. So we went. And he, he went up there. He stayed there overnight. I found him a hotel. The next day, I went back and got him, brought him back to the airport. And we've not only been friends, but his two sons and his daughter all have gone to Manchester University. And every time they come to England, I pick them up. And they're a great family. One of the things that taxi drivers always say is, be lucky. Have you heard that today? Oh, this is a, this a phrase that they always say to one another. You say, be lucky, because that's what it's all about. It's all about luck. And it's all about being in the, the right place at the right time. I was on a particular hotel um, on the bank, a cab bank, and uh, one of the guys come alongside me, a guy I knew, and he went, deadly today off, isn't it? I've, I've been out since six o'clock and I've took nothing, blah, 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 blah. And, uh, and I was talking to him by the cab and a gentleman came out of the hotel and said, uh, oh, please, I want to go to Gatwick. And like the guy I was talking to went, oh God, Gatwick. And it come to oh, like 170 pounds here. Yeah? And so uh, that was, uh, and the other guy who'd been out working for four hours, it, I don't think he had 20 quid, so that's the, that's the luck of the door, yeah? If I was a rich man, all day long I'd really, really wrong. If I was a wealthy man, wait, I wouldn't have to work hard. That'll do, that'll do. Because of the so many drivers that you know, and there might be so many Georges or Ted's or John's, they would they would come with a with a rider, so it would be oh it's Watford John or John the Vest or Suicidal Tom, or all these kind of nicknames that people uh, accumulate. Danny the Fib, because he was probably a liar. Everything he probably lied about how much he was earning a day, or he lied about how big his house was. And uh, yeah, there used to be a guy called uh, Jimmy the Fish. Uh, because uh, he used to work in Billingsgate and uh, there was Suitcase Murphy because uh, uh, <laughs> I don't know why he got the name Suitcase Murphy. You've got Suffering Peter, right? Suffering Peter would always have a problem. How you doing, Peter? All right, well, no, not really. <laughs> Can't believe it, you know. Everything was down there, you know. We did, we did have one guy that was came into a shelter, you know, the green, the, the, the green shelters that the cab trade has, and uh, he brought his friend in he said, uh, my name's Ted. So he said, yeah, but what do they call you? Have you got a nickname? And he said, no. He said, no, I don't want a nickname. He said, I, I was born Ted and I want to be called Ted. And they all went, oh, yeah, okay, right. But after that time, everybody called him no nickname Ted. I wanted to highlight uh, and break the wall of silence about Cuba. So I bought a brand new cab, white cab. I've always drove a black traditional cab and had the Cuban flag sprayed from bonnet to boot. And that, I drove that around London for 16 years, promoting Cuba, helping to break the silence on this blockade by the United States. I used to love driving around the American Embassy. 
I'd always put my hand out the window and give a little wave in case they were watching the Cuban flag. From the 1920s to the 1960s, there was a lot of Jewish cab drivers. And then in the late 60s, uh, early 70s, there was a lot of black drivers. And then there's a lot of, um, say, Somalian drivers. Um, they get one person would pass and then pass that on to their relations and say, this is not a bad job. And anyone, it's not um, restrictive. Any, anybody can do it. And the print unions were all beaten and had to move out of Fleet Street into Wapping. And down the docks, that the union was defeated and all the docks closed, which is really the, the biggest docks in the world, but they were all closed. And all those people, dockers, printers, oh, one of my partners was a printer, and they all became cabbies. When I started 24 years ago, there was about uh, 50 women cab drivers, so we were a real rarity, and you could tell the Americans she was the only one. <laughs> and when you used to drive along, people used to point, you used to hear them say, look, there's a woman in that cab you know, nudging each other on, each, on their arm to say, quick, look, look. It was like you were a, um, a circus act or something. <laughs> so I first walked into the canteen to order some food and as I walked in, all I could hear was and I kept looking and thinking, what's that? And there was a whole group of men making the bird sound. So I paid for my stuff and then I walked out and as I walked out, they did the same thing. So I said to one of the guys as I walked out, I said, what's that to do with? And they said, That's, that means the birds arrived. So it was something that they, they kept doing. And I, I didn't like it. I thought it was a bit intimidating. When they're in a group, they get very cheeky. But when they're on their own, they're not so brave. So I started to remember the faces. So when they're on their own, I would say something back. And then it kind of gradually stopped. What's it like being a woman driver? <laughs> there have been times of intimidation. There's been times of verbal abuse. But, you know, it's about you keeping your calm with that and learning how to either ignore or to, when you respond, respond in such a way that that person knows, look, you can't mess with me. Sorry, we're here and we're here to stay. Please join us for episode three, which explores some of the strange and naughty things that have happened in the back of a cab, the day-to-day -day challenges of the job, and what the future might hold for the London taxi. The Sherbet Dab project was developed and run by Digital Works, with thanks to the children and staff at St George's the Master and Westminster Cathedral Primary Schools, the London Transport Museum, Knowledge Point, Unite the Union, Alf Townsend and all of the interviewees. Music was by Vincent Burke. This project was funded by the Lottery Heritage Fund and Unite the Union. To listen to the full interviews or watch the documentary film made as part of this project, visit www.sherbetdab.org.uk. 
To find out more about Digital Works' many oral history projects and to see other documentary films made about London's history, please visit www.digital-works.co.uk. Thanks for listening.